All right, whether or not everybody's here, um, they can wander in quietly. Um, we lost a few. I don't know why. There's another one. Okay, we're at the end of Galatians, and uh, we're going to be uh, going from about chapter 5, verse 16, through the end of the book, six chapters. And uh, it's the real rich part. It's a little less of the conflict that Paul is having with them. Uh, it's still on topic, but it is a part that everybody goes to quote. You know, has the fruit of the Spirit, you know, uh, things like that. Um, um, very, very good uh, verses that you, uh, you like having on your refrigerator. Um, I, what I want you to be doing as you look at them is look at them with his topic or his definitions in mind when you get to them so that you're not um, handling them with your usual evangelical, oh, I don't know what a spirit is, but I'll just put some godly feeling in there for spirit, and that's how I'll handle it. But you know he's saying there's a difference between the law and the, the law and the flesh of the spirit and faith. So he gets to the end of this that we've been covering, this conflict uh, over the role of the law and the Christian believer. And he says, but I say, because what comes up naturally is, are you really that kind of bad person? You're trying to step away from the rules. But I say, walk by the spirit. And do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, as I just sort of hinted a moment ago, Christians for 2,000 years haven't seemed to have known what the spirit is. They don't know what the soul is. They don't know when Paul says in Thessalonians, body, soul, and spirit. I know what a body is, but then they're lost. They thought that spirit and soul are the same thing. Are they the same thing? There are Christians who just say, well, Paul was just adding words. But when you're talking about mechanisms of life that pleases God, mechanisms of life that will please God, it would seem to be of some import that you would, uh, that you would know what you're, uh, what you're about, what you're addressing. When he says, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, because in his world, the flesh is two things. It's the law, and it's this sack of desire, this, this, uh, the urges of, of the body. It'd be good for you to start to do some thinking. I'm not going to tell you what things are because, you know, I'm just, trying, I'm just in charge of me. But there's a lot of scripture out there that brings us into this arena of uh, our body seems to be have an engine of its own, a mind of its own. Our soul has a mind of its own. It might even be called the mind. When it says in Corinthians, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man who dwells in him. So the spirit knows what your thoughts are in your mind. So the spirit has a mind. The mind has a mind. The body has a mind. You guys need notes? 
Well, the the, uh, the bad students are. So you were doing the dishes. You were doing the dishes. Oh, that's on tape too. Internet forever. The internet never forgets. Um, missing one, two. I think that might be three. Hands it out to somebody who might need one. Kyle probably needs one. Emily needs one. Um, so having some notion of um, what you're talking about so that you know what, what, what kind of handle Paul's just put in your life. Walk by the Spirit. What's, what's, that, what's that mean? Walk by the Spirit. Well, we know that the Spirit, and we're going to get into this in this paragraph, but he lays out, this is his sort of his thematic title. It starts a new subject, but it's working off of what he's already said about the spirit um, giving life, uh, the laws, the flesh, etc. Don't be righteous by this. He's arguing for the righteousness by the spirit here. It says, if I walk by the spirit I do, and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Then he has a very informative verse, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Now, there are all three parts of the human condition in that verse. Your desires of the flesh, hunger, sex, uh, self-preservation, all sorts of things that just are urges, and we are sometimes seduced by our urges to violate what is holy, because the urge must be answered. But the odd thing is, he then says the desires of the spirit are against it. One's against the spirit, the spirit is against the flesh. Both are desires. And that where we, that's where we sort of fall on our face, because we were just told to walk by the Spirit. I'm now, I'm now told that the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. And I'm, if I walk by the Spirit, I'm not supposed to gratify the desires of the flesh. So that opposition is in the two verses. I not only don't have a clue what a Spirit is, I, don't, I didn't realize that it had a name, or... You know, we say, what, where is it from? You know, Montana? Yeah, we, we, we don't know anything about the Spirit, any background. What, what, what am I talking about when I talk about the Spirit? Now, the interesting thing is, these are opposed to each other. You have desires of flesh, desires of spirit. I, I really under... We, we have been far more educated on the desires of our flesh. We have spent, since our pu puberty... When we finally became self-aware, we were sinners before that, but since puberty we were self-aware about rewarding ourselves. I can remember going to church parties and finding how many pizzas each guy could eat. Because that's important to know. You know, knowing what your spirit is, no, not so much. I just need to know how many pizzas I can eat. Now, I don't think there's anything necessarily sinful about eating 12 pizzas in one sitting. <clears throat> there, there probably is at that point. But so these two things, we, we, but then we step over to the Spirit, and I don't even know what I'm talking about, and I don't even know how to identify the desires of it. 
the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And then it says, to keep you from doing what you would. These are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. It just introduced the third part. Your soul is your evaluation, your decision generator, your mind. Your flesh speaks to it. Your spirit speaks to it. They have different agendas. They have different desires. Okay? But he wants to remind you in verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because it is very hard for us to think in these terms. If I knew what the Spirit was, I knew how to grab hold of that and live and walk that way, walk by it. It would inform my soul in such a way that it could make a moral decision accounting for the Spirit's desires. Remember, the Spirit is opposed to the desires of the flesh. To keep you from doing what you would. You would would be doing the fleshly things because it says we are tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. It warns us against the passions of the flesh a variety of times in the New Testament. We know that this is... uh, This is how and why we sin. Now we want to know how and why is righteousness. Because the law didn't work, and only lazy people, pious prigs, are into that. But if if you're into Christianity the way Paul lays it out, there is a walk by the Spirit that answers desires of this Spirit in such a way that your soul would be kept from doing what the flesh wants it to do. Because both are trying to keep the soul from doing what the other wants. And there isn't any lawfulness to this. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, we've got walking by the Spirit, we've got desires by the Spirit, we've got being led by the Spirit, but in this case you're not under the law. In case you're the kind of person who thinks that because I have the Spirit, now the law is going to be easier. It, it doesn't make it easier, it makes it absent. Because it's decided to go a different route at righteousness. It's going for the same thing, but in an effective way, because the other one wasn't effective. We don't think that we get to, if we eliminate the rules, you eliminate the wrong. You know? So, uh, I imagine there are some Christian cults out there that have come up with that one. If you eliminate the law, you eliminate the sin. Well, God still wants us to turn out a certain way, like his son. So we're, tr- we're trying to find the path in Paul that he is recommending for that. Now, this is a great, my father always uses here, verse 19 and following, in counseling people who come to him as Christians and say, I'm having a rough go. And then he'll have them read this and says, which list describes you best? You have the works of the flesh in verse 19 and 20. And 21, because there's a longer list. And uh, down in 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are plain, because if I follow the desires of the flesh, and it convinces my soul to decide and evaluate in its benefit, and ignore the desires of the Spirit, I will end up this way. Fornication, at sleep... In case anybody has a problem with Bible words, um, fornication, probably different than 
what we would consider fornication. It's probably cult prostitution um, or just prostitutes or professionals because we didn't, they didn't have a culture where people had as much direct access to the neighbor girl uh, with we do in high school and so forth. So um, we might fall under uh, licentiousness or impurity uh, more. Um, but the first three are, are sexual, fornication, impurity, licentiousness. And I don't think there's any... I wouldn't want to put on Paul a, a, a claim that um, he thereby was ranking your people do with the fruit of the Spirit because love comes first. You know, it might be inadvertent, might be there. But then he goes on to idolatry, which I don't know, think many of you struggle with. Sorcery, any sorcerers? Um, enmity, we've got some of that in, in, in Christianity. Strife, a lot of that. Jealousy, yep. Anger, yep. Selfishness, yep. Dissension, yeah. <laughs> and in case you missed that, party spirit. That's not going to parties. That's um, belonging to your faction. I'm a Republican. Uh, but in a Christian sense, it's I'm a Lutheran or I'm a you know, Presbyterian. Calvinist. Calvinist is, yeah. <laughs> I've heard of them, but uh, um, even if you're just, and I've met it over the years out here west, there's an awful lot of men, and this is a kind of a guy thing, and I, it's the no perfect church mentality. They, they could not allow their homeschooled family to get involved in any church because it's never perfectly their theology. And so onward they move till they're looking for the perfect church. And uh, they're a party faction of one. Um, uh, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. Now, he just says, I add the like, just, just in case you have some other words you want to shove in there that you know what we're talking about. We know what the works of the flesh are because we didn't need an identifier at the beginning when he says the desires of the flesh or don't gratify the desires of the flesh. We go, yeah, I could make, I could jot down a list immediately on the back of these notes without reference to the notes. We know what they are. But he wants to warn you, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, um, this happens out of 1 John 2, where some rather stark, strong things are said uh, no one born of God sins. You go, hello? Well, in some cases, you can really tell in 1 John, and I think you can tell here that it's not so much he is talking, of, he is a person who believes in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you are saved by grace through faith, not of works. And here it looks like if you do such things, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This may be a descriptive verse rather than a uh, prescriptive, the, what you do. You, you don't say, look at that list, stop doing those things, and I inherit the kingdom of God. No. The people who inherit the kingdom of God don't do these things. The people that have been changed by the Spirit don't do these things. But the fruit of the Spirit, now everybody knows that if you've heard any Bible study, any sermon, the guy makes a distinction between the fruit, singular, and being fruit, and work, of the flesh. Um, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, whatever else you could do with this passage, and there's lots of good lessons you can get out of it, um, but we're going to try to get the lesson that Paul's trying to get across to us in the book, where he wants you, from the beginning of the book, to be operating in the Spirit, not under the law. You're not under the law if you're led by the Spirit. You're supposed to walk by the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. It seems it's important that finally I've got some descriptives. It's telling me something about what the Spirit's up to. And what's interesting, it isn't good deeds. Fornication is a bad deed. So is sorcery. That means you're calling up demons from hell. Okay? Uh, it means you're, you're watching Harry Potter. I don't know. It's a it's a, it's a wide, wide possibility. But there are actions. Some of them are attitudinal, selfishness, or anger. But the ones uh, in the fruit of the Spirit is, is not giving you a list of accomplishments to tick off. That's kind of rude. Um, because there are all these religious people who would like to tick off the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The nice thing about the opposite of the law, you would think it would be something the law would have a law against. You know, if it's, there's the law over there, and Paul's saying, no, over here, well, we're in the law, it should have a law against thinking this way. It's no, I'm telling you things, as a matter of fact, that are on a different plane altogether. This is not, this is not antipathy for even the things in the law, for the law is good and just and holy, what he says in Romans. There, there's no law against these things, and these things, if I walk by them, if I'm led by them, I will both not be under law, I will also not be under flesh. Any flesh, whether it's lawful fl law flesh or, or uh, sinful flesh. But in this situation, it's juxtaposed against your fleshly desires. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Now, you know in Corinthians 13, he tells you that love is patient and kind. The only two positive other attitudes that are part of the definition of love. And they're also on this list, patience and kindness. And if you had Christians who were loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled, you would have none of those churches that were filled with envy, party spirit, dissension, selfishness, anger, jealousy, strife, enmity. Let alone the immoralities of fornication, impurity, and licentiousness. You just wouldn't have it. Because, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, somehow, I have got to find a path that accounts for these images that Paul's using. Walking by the Spirit. Um, not having these qualities because if I do, I, don't, I know I won't inherit the kingdom. Not because I'm so bad I won't inherit the kingdom and we don't let bad people in, but because badness describes somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Badness describes the unbeliever. 
He who does right is righteous, it says in 1 John. What does describe you starts to affect you in such a way that it puts to death the things that were your inertial force before. It's like a non-believer, someone who hasn't come to a knowledge of God, um, has a spirit that is rubber, just rubber stamping. You know, the flesh says, hey, why don't we go get blitzed at, at John's Alley tonight? Okay. I got nothing. I, the spirit of that person going, I got nothing. You know, I got, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, make any claims here. We know that we've got a choice. I have a supposition about the righteousness of Christ. You might not agree with us, but Christ was really tempted. He became a man so he could be tempted in part. He was tempted in every manner, like his weight, yet without sin. So we got a bunch of questions. Could Christ have sinned? Yes, because it would have been a temptation if he couldn't. All right, if he just had a force field around him, you know, all the time, and sin came near, you know, it, it, it would, the temptation would go away. He chose. He could sin, but he wouldn't. That's a far greater, because one, we are being told that we ought to have that kind of circumstance where we wouldn't sin. Because we love, because we're in joy, because we're at peace. You're recommending that I do that? We've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Like Christ, and then he says, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That is back from the first part of the book. I think in chapter 3, I have it here on the side. Um, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, you are now ending with the flesh. He's now saying the positive of that statement, if you began with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. This is one of the reasons I think the book is about your sanctification is the same way you were saved. As you received, received him, so live in him. There's a, um, and in the kind of thing that you encountered. Now, sometimes, tragically, the gospel wasn't encountered in a way that they could turn it around and make it a guide to holiness because they started going to church with friends and they liked the people. They didn't object to anything that was said. It was okay. And, and then they did a, like a, a membership drive and they joined the church, got baptized. If you really live by the Spirit, if you've come to life by the Spirit, you crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, you know that these worlds are opposed to each other, but they were opposed to each other in Christ. His spirit was opposed to his flesh because he was tempted by his flesh. Now, The thing that crossed my mind, and I've been thinking, I was talking to Gunn last week sometime about this, and uh, things that uh, occupy someone's mind. You might preach out of different passages, but something's occupying you. And one of the things that is 
occupied me for a while, and just my broad thought is, how do you encourage the saints? Where do you point them uh, that the that becoming more like the Lord Jesus is uh, a path that they understand what it is and they can take it? You know, you're not just gassing on about God words. You're trying to get them to go to another conference, you know, or buy another book from some self-help writer who's a Christian. You know, uh, no, you really got. You're looking for those answers in the scripture. And what here we see in the kind of the background, without it being um, um, definitive or uh, that this is how you become more like the Lord Jesus sort of comment, you see how he spoke to the problem in the Galatians. You had this the right way coming into Christ. You are continuing the wrong way. You're, con- you're letting these legalists show up and ruin it. Let me talk to you about that. He proceeds to do so. Lays out the history of it. Lays out what's important to him. And then he's getting to this, these admonitions that are more positive at the end of the book. And what he says there in chapter 3, verse 2, when, I, when he says here in this chapter, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So there's a suggestion... I came to life by this agent we're calling the Spirit. And I'm supposed to live according to this agent that I encountered when I came to Christ. So when he says in 3.2, Did you receive that Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And suddenly I've got an actual, I've got a methodology there. Hearing with faith. I could have done works of the law. What are the rules in this church? What do I have to do? How much do I have to give? What am, what's my public behavior got to be like? We, gotta, we can do that. We can do all those things. But we are not called that way. We were called by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish having begun with the Spirit? And beginning with the Spirit was hearing with faith. Now I have right below that Romans, Romans 10, great passage on the gospel. 10:14. But how are men to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how could men preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ. Same, same author writing this stuff in Romans and in Galatians. And he is saying, you received the Spirit by hearing with faith. You believed what you heard. Okay, simple. Someone declared it. And Paul's saying in Romans 10, that that's just the way things happen in the Christian faith. That people can't call upon God if they've not believed in him, and they've not believed in him because they've not heard about him, and hearing about him, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the preaching of Christ. What's interesting is probably information streams were very limited in the first century. Very few people literate, some were, writing was notable but they didn't have printing presses it all had to be handwritten 
This letter is written by Paul, so somebody who was literate could read it to the church and in Galatia. But primarily, if you were going to get something from another agent in the cosmos, they would tell you. You have to have a voice come across the emptiness and register with your ears. They're pretty much the centerpiece of all information theory in uh, 50 AD. We find ourselves excusing our way out to other paths, you know, Bible tracks and Bible movies and Bible TV shows and whatever. Not that those aren't bad, but we sometimes lose track with the encounter that the sinner has with the preached gospel. How could they call upon him who they not believed, and how can they believe unless they hear, and how can they hear unless a preacher is sent? So the preacher preaching, the guy listening, is a moment of accounting. It's a moment of ultimate evaluation. Hearing with faith. Did you? Didn't you? Did you believe when it was preached? Maybe not the first time, maybe the seventh time. But at some point when it was preached, did you believe? Now, this is all being said on the, you might say, the hobby horse or the need to encourage people to righteousness by this path. But we also know that we're, we're a little bit behind on what, than these first century Christians who had better knowledge of what he was talking about than we do. So when he says things like the elemental spirits earlier in the book, they know what he's talking about. We're going, what? It's just all, this is so strange. But this presence, since Christians today might not have a big curiosity about the elemental spirits, but they, they do want to please their God. They do want to, there's a struggle against sin that you see going on in people, and they want to stop it. How do I get out of this? How do I not do this anymore? This is the path you take. Let us have no self-conceit, <coughs> no provoking of one another, no envy of one another. Remember that these things are all there to, through love, be servants of one another. If you love, this is what you'll get. Because the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. There's no law against these things, and these things are going to be uh, um, making you holy in how you treat the other believers, your family. Brethren, first six, chapter what, 6, verse 1. Now, because this is a separate chapter and the topic shifts a little bit, I don't want you to give up on his, con his construct, his, his categories. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, now this is what you come up with when you, um, you have sin in the camp, right? You have somebody you know that's sleeping with a girlfriend, and you've got to go talk to him. Overtaken in a trespass. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For, anyone, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each man will have to bear his own load. An interesting little paragraph. 
But I want you to think, again, a lot of beneficial stuff. You could go chasing down in it. I've, I've brought it up many times in dealing with people that I've had to deal with, and I've had to deal with some things. But the first question you have to ask yourself, am I spiritual? And then we're off to the races. We don't, you know, because when it says here, you who are spiritual, he's just been telling you how important the distinction is between walking by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in you, that's the measure. Not, am I really involved in my church? That's not spiritual. Not, am, am I really admired in the church I'm involved in? No, that's not the measure either. Are you loving? Are you joyful? Are you peaceful? Are you patient? Are you kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled? Because I have to go into this in a spirit of gentleness. Not in a sp and I can't go after the sinner in the church in the spirit of lawfulness. Too often, anybody who is... Is that famous guy, Cruden's Concordance? Have you ever seen a Cruden's Concordance? A Strong's Concordance. Cruden's a lesser known, less exhaustive concordance. Uh, the guy who, Cruden, uh, went mad later in his days and called himself Alexander the Corrector. <laughs> and you can imagine what a good time he had. And some of you maybe live with that joy of being Alexander the Corrector. Um, and, and correctors love to have rules because you can just write that on a piece of paper, slide it across the desk at them, and they can read it, be convicted. But that's not what you're supposed to do because you who are spiritual, not those of you who are Pharisees, those of you who are lawful, who are of the flesh, who want to correct everybody, because you will never get to gentleness that way. You will, gentleness is something of a different camp than people who like to hold people's feet to the fire. You want to stop them sinning, but you want to stop them sinning the right way because you have to have the right philosophy of not sinning. That's what you're bringing up to them. Look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Because operating this way, you've got to be aware that it's, got to, it's trying to stop you. It's trying to keep you from doing what you would. Um, you're operating on your own... Uh, recognizance here. You are operating as if not. it's not an instruction to the church here necessarily. It's actually a discussion of individual participation. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now the law of Christ, uh, which is central to the new covenant, central to the kingdom of God, mentioned in Romans 8, I think. Here we have it. Have that, yeah, Romans 8 and James. James 1. Um, Romans 8. This Bible. Um, uh, verse, chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So this difference of the law of uh, the law of Christ uh, that f to fulfill the law of Christ is to fulfill um, these qualities. Argue, he's arguing in Romans six, seven, and eight. Uh, also in James chapter one, um, it's twice mentioned. Um, uh, 
Uh, back in, in chapter 1, verse uh, 25. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer that forgets, but a doer that acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James, although he's accused of being somewhat of a legalist because he's, you know, faith without works is dead, he understands this doctrine, that the perfect law, it's one of liberty, it's one that leads you to righteousness. And uh, two paragraphs later, if you really fulfill the royal law, now he's called it the perfect law, the law of liberty, Paul calls it the law of Christ, he then calls it the royal law in verse 8 of chapter 2. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. So it's a um, same, same topic. But what we have to get to is that's got to occur. The, the wonderful thing about it, not is there not a law against loving people, but there isn't a program in any church anywhere that can create it. Okay? You cannot positively create love in anybody. Because just like your salvation, just like you can't get saved for your kids, or you can't get saved for someone else, you have to hear the gospel, you have to believe, it has to be you. It says, as you received, as we, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, we have to be hearing with faith ourselves and doing the love. There's nothing that can be done. I can't help you out here. I'm going to point things out in the scripture. But until you face down the word of God here and go, yeah, my God, my Lord, the whole Thomas moment, my Lord and my God, do you have that with the gospel? Do you have that with the fruit of the Spirit? Because we've got this bearing one another's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. I made that in red so you'd see it. It's your own work. It's one of those confusing passages because it talks about your reason for boasting. Aren't you not supposed to be doing that? Right? Just that at least... You're not riding. Everybody thinks it's more humble to ride on the spirituality of the group you're in. Pick the right church, the right youth group, the right, you know, mentor. I'm sorry I used the word. And if you're of the right theology, so that you're not taking credit, you know. But Paul's saying, you know, this is all about you. It better be what you have done, what you have done in your own self. Have you heard from God and believed? Because without faith, this ain't happening. It's not going to happen by law or any church program that you can go act humble regarding. My name doesn't come to the top of anybody's list. But you know, I'm, I like to know that I'm involved in a good bunch. Now, be holy and own it. Test yourself where you are. You're supposed to find out your, to be any help to anybody, not being uh, to bear their burdens, uh, correct them in their sins. I'm expecting a certain degree of spirituality, a certain degree of, you know, walking on water. That step up in verse 22. For each man will have to bear his own load. 
what a what a great verse. It's sort of it's sort of Christianity protects you from cults if you were living it. It's not because you're going to have different views than other people all the time. We hope we have the same in many cases, but you came to them. Your, in, the, in the privacy of your own home, your knees bent. It wasn't because some of I come to the garden alone moment was being sung and down the aisle you went because you couldn't stop weeping. Now you might weep, you might not, but you have to hear and your faith has to be a response to what you heard because it is God's spirit given to you and he's waiting for that. You know, the person who just walks the aisle because that's what Baptists do. God's looking at it like, am I going to save this person just because he thinks he can do this little ritual? You know, go 50 feet and cry a little bit? No, if he doesn't hear the gospel and believe, able to declare Jesus is Lord. No, because he's waiting for faith. And he's waiting for you to hear what you will believe. But it's you. Everyone bears their own. Preach it, sister. (laughs) Daughter-in-law. This is my favorite. The next verse is set out. It's not set out this way in the scriptures. But I put a space before it and a space after it. So you'll notice it. Let him who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. I think it means financially. <laughs> it doesn't say, actually. Yeah, we we don't do that at church because who knows what would happen. We could maybe get a vacation. Um, now, it's one of those verses. Uh, people who are not into collections or budgets or anything like that sort of avoid because it's sort of awkward. It's, you're, you're so evasive of the tithing Sunday that. Even when you're faced with a passage, you sort of got to skim over it. But I think, you know, it's not just, it's not my temptation to skim over it. It's really part of the next section. This is all about you. This is all about whether or not you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith or by works of the law. Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, you know, ending with the flesh? You, personally. It's not whether or not there's a good apologetic argument for the existence of God held by some Christian philosopher somewhere in a good book and only would it be nice if you eventually read it and become confident. No, it's about you. It's not about your church. It's not about the trajectory of the nation or the trajectory of your denomination. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Okay, this is verse 8. For he who sows to his own, oh, there it is in red again, own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That goes on with the metaphor of the fruit of the Spirit. We are sowing to this. And you are taking, you personally, you individually, not part of, a Bible study at Big House, not part of All Souls Christian or other church you go to. Um, if you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap eternal life. you got to know what you're doing. Can't tell the players without a program. 
what did you hear? What did you hear declared of your God, what he had there to offer as fruit, if I sow to this love, joy, peace. I mean, I'm in enough, you've heard me say before, I've been in enough arguments with enough Christians arguing that it, Christians didn't have to be joyful. So, are you out of your, one, are you out of your mind that you're actually arguing with someone about whether or not God wants you to be happy? They, they're probably getting too many jollies out of not being happy. Because there are people like that. Not, not friends of mine, but we know them. And verse 9, And let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So then, as we have opportunity, listen to this, all these things are about now you doing this, don't lose heart in this because you will get to that reaping portion. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What's coming out of you in love, is this is why I connected the, let him who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Because it should never end, enter a budgetary discussion. It's always about how people are. You individual people are. Because it also has that doing good to all men, and, matter of fact, for the other Christians, more so. We don't love people equally. We love your family first. Your pastor second. Um, maybe pastor first. Family second. But you have the Christians first. Especially those of the household of faith. If the saints were in trouble, if you knew somebody in the body of Christ who was going through a hardship, you should naturally, not, not out of some cliquishness, but because they really are closer to you. But you're also doing good to all men, even the pastor. That's if the thing in you is happening. It is, there is no way that if someone backs away from this passage slowly and squints their eyes, they could make a rule and a program and a budgetary committee out of it. This is what the Bible says about pastoral support. Well, no, he's just told us a bunch of personal things about being changed by our God, by how we heard from him and whether we responded with faith. Do we believe? Remember I, that proverb I always quote, which is probably my favorite. Um, the wise man is wise for himself, and the fool he alone will bear it. Everything is really getting individual. Ezekiel 18 has that section, whole chapter on the soul that sins shall die. You're not guilty for your dad's sins, nor will your righteousness affect your kids. Sorry, the soul that sins shall die. It's individual. I told you the story years ago of of a guy who came to me with doubts about the faith, and he was a scientist, and and he asked, why didn't God make it more obvious? I said, because he doesn't want you to know. I said, not me, I already know, but you particularly, he doesn't want to have now. Because you don't want to know. Because as soon as I answer this point, you've got another one in the hopper, ready to drag out and go, well, what about this? Well, since you don't want to know, he doesn't want to be known by you. 
you personally. This is how each of us respond in faith to the message we hear from our God. So when we read privately through Galatians, next chance you get, what do you do with it? Do you say, yes, Lord, this is the way it is? I know too many people who argue with Galatians, people who argue with Romans, people who argue with, you know, whatever. See, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, another reference to the potential eye affliction, um, some people think. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would compel you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who receive circumcision do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Because that was the party affiliation. That was a polite place to be. Wear the ribbon. Wear the mask. Do the right thing. Belong to the right group. Is your kid baptized? Are you baptized? But Paul has a different, a different accounting because he's accounted all other earthly religion, our flesh, as much as they are about spiritual things. The laws and the priestcraft are all flesh. They are shadows, not substance. Um, he says you're keeping a calendar is, I've labored over you in vain. Christianity is on a different plane. It is you personally. It's whether you heard and whether you believed, and whether your belief was the kind of belief that pleased God. Because remember, without faith it is impossible to please God. Was God pleased with yours? You might not be saved because you're good enough, but is your faith worthy? Does he see that as something that is a good sign in you, that you sought him and you believed what he said? Remember, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Do you believe God? Do you believe the people he has sent, the prophets, the apostles, his son? Far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now this is a, he's drawing a line. It's not just a line of moral, you know, turpitude versus moral virtue. It's not worldliness in that sense. It's everything fleshly over there that Christ's death is by which Paul made a line. I died, I was crucified to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. He said that once before in the book, but now he says, but a new creation. This is... This is why it can't be a church. I mean, I'm glad to get together with the saints because I love the saints. It's nice to uh, know that we serve the same God. But the church can't do this. It can't make a new creation. Older systems, sacramental ones with priests and graces offered in their rituals, they think they can, but they can't. The new creation is in you. The new creation is in you. And then the question is, how do you measure that? How do I see that in the Spirit? Did I hear this message? Did I believe this message? You're already a Christian. That's where you, most of you are in this situation. Do you hear the teaching? Oh, well, this is the next verse. 
peace and mercy upon all who walk by this rule. Got it? Upon the Israel of God. This is Christianity. The Israel of God, the chosen people, the kingdom. These are the ones who walk by this rule. The rule of Christ, the, 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 the royal law, the, the spirit in them being the spirit of God because they believed and found it by hearing with faith. And because they believed their God, you became a child of promise. Something happens because you believed him. He is the, God is the thing that saves. God is the thing that does the good in you. If, if God doesn't do it, you're not any more saved than Adolf Hitler. You know, it's, God is the one who has to save you. Your faith doesn't save you. Your spirit doesn't save you. Your view of Galatians doesn't save you. But if you walk by this rule, you're a part of the Israel of God, and you have the peace and the mercy of God. And I love this verse. It's sort of the verse that stuck out to me when I was first going through Galatians, prepping for the summer. And uh, it's right, verse before the end. Henceforth, let no man trouble me. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That's got so much in it. He already said, you know, why am I still persecuted if I were preaching circumcision? We know that Paul was persecuted for this idea. Not for being a Christian, but persecuted for this idea. That was open to the, open to the Galatians, open to the Gentiles. Because it was this. It wasn't the law. But What's nice about it is all the people with the circumcision, and he's used that throughout the book. Um, that's the mark of a Jew. What's the mark of Jesus? New creation. Nothing less. It's not that, boy, you know, a lot of Christians are just carnal and haven't made Jesus Lord of their life, or or have a Wesleyan second work of grace sanctification moment. No. You're known to be a believer. The, you are right if you're righteous. You can tell a believer, those who are not like that list up in chapter 5, because those who do such shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if, you're got that, if that's the descriptive, and you're not gentle, faithful, good, self-controlled, etc., the marks of Jesus. I think, uh, you know, I don't think he's not talking about his persecutions. You could say he could show you probably scars on his back where he had been whipped. Those are the marks of Jesus. But that's a little, you know, that's pushing merely the tribalism that people don't get along with other people. Other people have been whipped. The mark of Jesus is the new creation. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. It's a, uh, if you have some time to meditate, and I trust you that you're Christians. You know, be looking at how these parts of you, from the beginning of our passages uh, this evening, you have a what I would do, decided by what my spirit says and its desires, and what my flesh says and its desires. How do those three-part juggle Evan? Evan is a thing that, and Evan is the one that has to come to grips with his own flesh and what he's going to reap 
and how he is going to reap and collect these good things. Do we not lose heart? Do good to all men, especially of the household of faith? All this goodness that we can do, if we get who we are sorted out, and then we can sort out the instruction of how to live righteously, because we believe our God. We believe nothing less. So let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Your goodness to us, we'd ask that we would find the goodness in you and your son as reason to give ear, lend an ear, listen, and believe. In your son's name we pray. Amen.